นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสะอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่าอ่า
daring, like it's a daring inquiry. Like on the material level, we're all familiar with the the great explorers that have opened the world up. It wasn't that long ago that everybody thought the world was flat, but there were some people who dared to push the boundaries and then discovered that the world was round. You're not going to fall off the edge. Or that great astronomer, Galileo, got himself into a lot of trouble because he, he, he refused to accept the, uh, the shared assumption that everything uh, was referencing planet Earth. And he discovered that it wasn't like that. You know, he came up with a radically different perspective, a radically different perception, which transformed understanding. Well, similarly, for those who hear and calling for the inner journey, uh, a questioning about these highs and lows, the the oscillating moods that human beings go through, is there an alternative to being subjected to this? Do we have to just strive after happiness and avoid unhappiness? Is there another way of relating to this whole thing? Is there another way of viewing this? Mm. And this doubt causes restlessness, but also is is what produces the the great spiritual explorers, like the Buddha. And so for those of us who have this question, who have this interest, and is there an alternative way of viewing the happiness and unhappiness of life, so that we're not just being subject to it, feeling like we're being thrown around by it. It's very fortunate we come across the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha also had this question and heeded the calling and took the inner journey and arrived at what he called, in the Pali language, Sammaditi or perfect view. Ditti is view. Samma is usually translated as right, but could also be translated as perfect or pure. Perfect perspective. Clear seeing. And this this is a totally different view on... Experience, all experiences, agreeable and disagreeable. It's not just another experience, but it's a shift in perspective on all experience. So for the Buddha and those great realized beings who have arrived at Sammaditi, arrived at this perfect perspective, the Changing moods, the happiness and unhappiness, the pleasure, pleasure and the pain, it's just like, for them, it's just like the changing weather. Yeah. It's just what happens. But they're not subject to it. They're not suffering as somebody becoming high or becoming happy or becoming low or becoming unhappy. And this is why the Buddha referred to the cessation of suffering as the uh, 
end of becoming. Uh, through this right understanding, this radical shift in relationship to experience that transforms life. So for those for whom this question arises, uh, do we have to just put all our energy into trying to uh, maximize on the happiness and avoid the unhappiness? Uh, Is there an alternative to this? They come across the Buddha's teachings and that's that's really significant, very good fortune. So then we start to ask the question, well, if there are those beings who've realized this shift, this different perspective on reality, how can we realize it? What can we do about it? Is there something to do about it? Now, this is also a question that was asked to one of the Buddha's chief disciples of Sariputta. And we asked the Sariputta, what are the conditions that lead to the arising of right view? And the Sariputta replied, there are two things we can do about it. One is wise contemplation, and the other is listening to the teachings of those who have realized it. So then when we're listening to the teachings of different teachers that are around, it's important to check to see what works in our case because as I'm sure by this stage all of us are aware teachings come in different shapes and forms. There are those who present the teachings in a way whereby you have the impression, you're left with the impression that we're not doing enough, we need to do something more. We're somehow lacking and we need to develop something. We need to become something more than we are, but, you know, which uh, I've sometimes referred to as those who are goal-oriented in their practice. And now, if we're already somebody who's rather uh, burdened with the stresses and challenges of life, uh, then to approach, to pick up the spiritual disciplines in a way whereby it's just we've got to do something more, we've got to become something different, well it can sometimes end up just uh, increasing the stress, uh, increasing the, the burdens of life. Well once again there's, uh, uh, there are different ways of approaching the, the spiritual exercises and there are those teachers that also thankfully present the teachings in a way whereby we're invited to stop all the doing, stop all the trying to become something else. Mm. What I sometimes referred to as those teachings that are source-oriented, fundamentally trusting in the inherently adequate okayness that's already and always there. That's a mode of practice is characterized by trusting rather than doing. Now this is not to make a fixed position out of, of course we're all different, our practice changes as we go along and almost certainly all of us start out with 
feeling like we need to do something or finding ourselves already doing something to get ourselves unstuck from this predicament, the feeling we have of being caught up in this cycle of trying to basically get what we want and avoid getting what we don't want, and trying to cultivate pleasure and avoid pain. And uh, This is something we can do, so inevitably in the beginning we do find ourselves doing something and if we're inspired to do the spiritual exercises then that's often what motivates us to pick up meditation. So we start doing the meditation. But before long, there's a good possibility we realize that our trying so hard to get somewhere is fruitless. It just stresses us out even more. And if we're fortunate enough to hear the teachings that encourage us to reflect on the kind of effort that we're making, stop colluding with the assumption that there's something wrong with you, and turn the attention around and reflect on the very perception of me doing something to get somewhere. This very perception of self, this very perception of doing. If we can find a way of allowing the heart and mind to settle to a good enough degree of ease, good enough degree of peacefulness, then we're in a position where we can start to read start to see for ourselves, reflect for ourselves, contemplate for ourselves these notions that we have, these impressions that we have, these motivations that we have of always having to be somebody going somewhere to become something different. Now what does good enough mean? Ajahn Tiridhamma and I were talking this the other day when Ajahn Tiridhamma had been talking to Ajahn Chah about this, Ajahn Chah didn't necessarily say what good enough was. Uh, you know, something we have to figure out for ourselves. Yeah. What is good enough? But you know, this is again, it's by trial and error. Yeah. If our degree of calm and, and ease is not good enough, it means that the mind keeps wandering all the time. There's no steadiness. There's no stability. Yeah. It's like you know, if you want to see a pond with a reflection in it, there's got to be a stillness. Otherwise there's no reflection. The ability for our mind to exercise reflective intelligence, to turn our attention around and look inwards and consider, there needs to be a certain degree of stillness. So there's myriad exercises that we can engage with And if we're engaging with them mindfully, carefully, sensitively, hopefully sooner or later we discover something that works for us and we arrive at a good enough level of stillness so we can read. Oh, right, I get that. Oh, right, I can see these different impressions arising. This idea that there's me who's somehow fundamentally damaged and I've got to do something to figure out. We hear the voices. We feel the sensations in the body. We realize that we can exercise our attention in a way whereby we expand the field of awareness and we, rather than fighting and and out of taking sides for and against ourselves, we can just accommodate. There's this possibility of developing awareness with an attitude of accommodating all aspects of ourselves. Not judging anything, not taking sides for or against anything. A judgment-free awareness. Mm -hmm. And we can look at 
how the mind wanders into the memories we have of the past and the fantasies about the future, and that we have this ability through wise reflection and, and the right kind of sensitive discipline to cultivate a here and now quality of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. We recognize that we also, if we have a good enough level of tranquility, we recognize that, that the, the way we inhabit our being can be split off. It can be always up in our heads. This is a comment we hear regularly. You know, people are learning meditation. They can't even feel down from the neck. It's always up in their heads, thinking all the time. And it's something that's been developed. It's something that the education system we went through produced this imbalance whereby we're always thinking. You know, sitting in front of a computer all day long, of course, eventually that's where our attention feels most comfortable, up in the head thinking. But it's actually a distortion of our being. What about the body? What about the physicality? What about what we feel in our guts? A lot of intelligence comes from our guts. A lot of intuitive understanding comes from our guts. We don't need to, if we can't feel what's happening in our guts, if we can't feel what's happening in our heart, in our shoulders, in our jaw, in our forehead, well then we're missing out on a lot of information. So with a good enough level of tranquility we can hopefully come to recognise this for ourselves and then we can cultivate a whole body quality of awareness. Whole body, here and now, judgment-free awareness. This is something that we've We've, we're able, we discover we're able to develop, we're able to cultivate. And this is cultivating the, the ground or the basis or the foundation for our contemplative life. Mm. Developing these skills. And once we've got these skills down, then sooner or later, hopefully, we stumble across this really important perception that the Buddha also stumbled across which is that our ignorance in regards to suffering is one of the things that perpetuates suffering. Now, the Buddha pointed to it in many ways, on many occasions, over and over and over again. You know, I teach two things. I teach suffering, the cessation of suffering. That's it. Mm-hmm. So we need to pay attention to this. And if we have this foundation of here and now, whole body and mind, judgment-free awareness, we discover, hopefully, that we are able to pay attention to the reality of suffering. Instead of suffering being our enemy, instead of suffering being an indictment against us, instead of suffering being an indication of what a failure we are, we start to see, we start to view suffering as the very place, the very time where we can learn what we need to learn so as to let go of being caught up in these changing conditions. The clinging to happiness and the struggle against unhappiness, the habit of trying to get high and the fear of getting low. And when we're willing to, when we're willing and able to sensitively pay attention to the experience of dissatisfaction, of limitation, of frustration and not judge it as something going wrong 
then we can really learn. Mm. We can really learn. Mm. But it can take a long time to get there, of course. Well, why can it take such a long time? Because the momentum of avoidance, the habits of avoidance, yeah. they have energy behind them. And even if we hear the Buddha's teachings or through our own wise reflections, we have inclinations towards letting go of habits of clinging and becoming, and feeding these habits. And still, it's, it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. But little by little, hopefully, what we learn is that we can trust in this approach. Instead of trusting in our ability to manipulate conditions and our extravagant use of energy and just moving the furniture around all the time, trying to make the place feel satisfactory, we let go of that and we trust in this here and now whole body mind judgment free awareness and willingly attend to the feeling of suffering. And suffering becomes the teacher. Suffering is the teacher. Yeah. We learn to respect suffering. We learn to value suffering. Now, from a totally worldly perspective, that sounds just like complete nonsense. Yeah. But from the perspective of those who are interested in discovering an alternative view on reality, not always being the subject of changing moods... Yeah. From that perspective, actually suffering becomes very interesting. So from the worldly perspective, it's what's going wrong here. And from the spiritual perspective, it's what can I learn here. Yeah. A genuine, heartfelt, even embodied sense of willingness to receive utterly frustrating, utterly disappointing experiences. Yeah. And trust in the willingness to be with, trust in the willingness to be with that which we want to run away from. Again, it can, it can sound ridiculous, but in a, in a kind of mysterious way, uh, uh, that commitment, that willingness, that sensitive Ability to be with things that we really don't want to be with yeah. transmutes suffering. Yeah. Now, suffering can shift into ease. Now, struggles can shift into contentment. And it's kind of marvellous how it can happen. You know, we may not necessarily understand what's going on. But if we have access to trust, or even deeper than trust, free access to faith, then we can submit ourselves to this. We have a, a willingness to submit ourselves to this kind of practice. We're not trying to overcome our suffering, but finding out the kind of effort it takes to more fully, more willingly receive, be with, yeah. and allow the actuality, yeah. the reality to emerge. Yeah. If we have, if we're heeding the call of the inner journey, then sooner or later mm -hmm. life will 
present us with something that feels utterly intolerable, unfair and too much. Hopefully, by that time, we've already heard enough, learnt enough from the wise teachers to not believe in the way things appear to be. To remember the teachings on the difference between a life according with Dhamma and a life according with delusion. To remember the teachings on the difference between living a dream and awakening. Trusting in this kind of effort is not something that we can synthesize, it's not something we can invent, but it is something that we can grow in. It's like, like children grow in trust. You see, like a little child at a certain age, mum and dad go off to work, or mum or dad go off to work, yeah the child cries because the perception tells them that they're going to be left alone and unsafe. They're going to lose their primary protectors. Of course, they don't have a concept of primary protectors, primary carers, but there's a sense of uh, pending loss and unsafety and they feel anxious and they cry. But we all know that that's because of Misperception, wrong view, wrong understanding, not viewing the situation accurately. But as months go by, children naturally grow up and learn to trust. Now, just because mum and dad or mum or dad are going away doesn't mean to say that they're leaving. You can trust that they'll be coming back again. You can't be sure, but they can learn to trust. Yeah. Or as I was saying, you can learn to have faith in life, faith in truth, faith in reality. Yeah. Personally, I use the, I think of the word trust in terms of a, like a, a psychological mechanism that gives us access to something deeper and much more profound. Yeah which we refer to with the word faith or sadha. Mm. Faith is really powerful in giving us the ability to endure, Mm. the ability to wait, generates energy, generates confidence. If our Capacity for trusting, as some people, our husbands, uh, capacity for trusting is damaged early on in life. And even though they may have faith in the spiritual possibility, uh, they hear the teachings and faith is quickened, but somehow they can't let go of the doing mode. Uh, they simply don't trust that faith is enough. Uh, they feel it's up to them to get themselves enlightened. And, regrettably get themselves exhausted in the process and disillusioned and despairing. If we can learn to trust, if the faculty of trust is damaged and then healed, find that maybe we find that you know, faith is there all the time and, and that when we're faced with 
the unendurable or the intolerable or the unreasonable. Maybe turn to to faith instead of turning to doing, instead of trying to save ourselves and sort it all out and understand what's going on. Willingly receive it. Willingly be with that which we don't want to be with. And then rather wonderfully witness that this kind of transmutation takes place. How it happens, well, if we think about it too much, actually it can get in the way of the process. We don't have to think about how our food is digested. Thankfully, uh, medical science has got it sorted and understands about how to keep a healthy bioflora and you know, you listen to what the doctors tell us and so we don't just eat what feels good hmm? we eat what's hopefully we eat what's sensible what helps keep us healthy and if I was to just consume what I like I would, I'd live on ice cream, chocolate, coffee and cigarettes that would be my diet Ben and Jerry's, dairy-free ice cream, chocolate, coffee and cigarettes. Well, of course, we get sick. Our preferences are not trustworthy. An occasion like that, something like that, the appropriate thing to do is to trust the medical people. Or taking antibiotics, you get some little infection that you know, is irritating, it's a nuisance. Well, give me the antibiotics. Crack open the tetracycline. And, you know, well, the medical people understand that if we use the antibiotics in an unwise way, we're going to actually end up creating superbugs. And that's what's happening, of course. So they caution us against you know, following our preferences. Appropriate thing to do is to endure this and allow a natural healing. Say, so, well, how does healing happen? You don't have to understand how healing happens. You know, people have looked at this before and understood this, and their encouragement, their advice is to bear with it. You know, you know, keep drinking plenty of water, relax, don't get stressed, and you know, exercise, and you know, good chance that healing will happen. Or if there is the right time to take antibiotics, then we do it in a wise, wise, carefully considered way. Well, similarly, on the, the spiritual journey, fortunately there are those who've walked the path before us who have likewise learnt that just following our preferences, just because we really don't feel good, just because we really feel despairing, we feel utterly disappointed, Racked with sadness doesn't mean to say something is going wrong. There is this radically different approach, which is a willingness to be with the suffering. And being with the suffering doesn't mean to say we have to do some sort of magical spiritual formula and do some mystical chants or or sit in some contorted yogic posture. Sitting might help, but also walking can help. Sometimes if the suffering's intense, 
then being with it actually is helped by walking. Sometimes maybe helped by working. Helped by swimming, helped by running. Whatever it takes, as long as it's within the precepts, whatever it takes so that we can be with this feeling of limitation, feeling of obstruction without running away from it, without judging it, without indulging in in the struggle. So this kind of this kind of wonderful possibility of the transmutation of suffering. Personally, I have the the feeling that it doesn't only just benefit us in a way that we can experience for ourselves, but maybe it also benefits all beings, maybe it benefits the world. There's a, a verse I find, an inspiring verse from the Dhammapada, verse 172, which says that there are those who awaken from heedlessness, they bring light into the world like the moon emerging from the clouds. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.